0: Second Chronicles chapter 12. Let's open with a word of prayer and let's dig into God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you. We love you, Lord. You are a great and an awesome God. And Lord, as we go to your word right now, we ask that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. Lord, give us ears to hear what your Spirit would say to us. And Lord, I thank you for everyone who's here none by chance, all by divine appointment. We thank you for those that are watching on live stream. Uh, may you minister to their hearts as well, those that will watch this later. And we just thank you for the Word of God that you wrote it down for us. Uh, Lord, I pray for the children's ministry, those that are ministering to the kids, the kids that are here tonight. Lord, be glorified in everything that happens here. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. so as we know, Chronicles, 1 and Chronicles were being written to the children of Israel who had spent 70 years in bondage in Babylon, Uh, Amongst those in bondage there were, were Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, among many others. And at the end of 70 years, God's delivered them out of bondage, and they're going to be moving back into Israel. But most of them had never been to Israel. Even though they were the children of Israel, it was because of their ancestors' ungodly behavior, and because they had compromised and were worshiping false gods, that God allowed them to be taken away captive. So they're reading this letter to understand the history of what God had done in Israel, and again, also to prepare them for when they got back to Israel. So the first book, as we know, was really focusing on the life of David, and 2 Chronicles focused, at least in the beginning, on the life of Solomon. Now as we come to tonight's text, Solomon has passed away, his son Rehoboam has taken his place. And if you will remember that because Solomon, uh, what was Solomon's biggest weakness? What was it? Women. So he was not to multiply uh, wives, horses, or gold, and he multiplied them all. And we know that he started well. He built the temple, but he lost sight over time. And before you know it, he was not walking with the Lord the way that he should have. And that can happen in all of our lives. And we're going to see that again tonight with his son. And so it's, we'll see this example that we need to be careful how we live First of all, we should live for the Lord because we love the Lord, but also live for the Lord knowing that you're going to impact people around you. You know, as parents and grandparents or future parents, just know that the example you live isn't just what you say, but the example that you live in front of your family. And so, Rehoboam, we saw that at the end of the last chapter, if you guys were here last week, it says, go back to verse 21 of chapter 11. It says, Now, Rehoboam loved Makah, the granddaughter of Absalom, more than all his wives. That's a problem. Okay. And, con- and his concubines. Where did he learn about wives and concubines? Where did that come from? From his dad. Now, he did better than his dad. He cut down a little bit, right? Because his dad had 1,000 women. I still think he would try to marry women twice, not knowing he was already married to some of them. But his concubines, says he took 18 wives and 60 concubines. So he went from 1,000 down to 78. That's still way too many. Amen? But he learned that example from his father. And so I, I know that, you know, as we live our lives, we need to recognize that people are watching. First of all, it's our family, but also our coworkers. And we want to be salt and light. You might be the only Jesus some people ever see. And so as you come into tonight's text, he's multiplied wives like his father did. And we're going to see that Rehoboam gets further away from the Lord. He becomes, he's kind of a wishy washy guy that goes back and forth between following God and not following God. And maybe some of us, if not all of us, can relate to that. To some degree, so if you have your outline, grab it. I tell them the message: pride goes before destruction, and how to live a holy and set apart life, uh, lives in times of great prosperity. We're going to see in tonight's text something that happens over and over in the Bible, and what it is is this: people tend to stay more desperate for God when they need Him desperately, when they recognize their need for Him. When they when when do when do you pray the most fervently? I can tell you when I prayed the most fervently is when I would have trials going on with my kids. I'd be on my face crying out to God. You know when you cry most fervently? When you can't fix it on your own. Amen? It doesn't matter how much money you have in the bank. It doesn't matter what position you have or how much power you may have. When your spouse comes down with cancer, you can't fix that without God's help. Amen? See, it's those trials that drive us to our knees. And so Rehoboam, he's very wealthy now. He's fortified all his cities as we saw last week. He's got everything the world could have to offer. Now, he did lose the northern kingdom because of what his father had done. But now we're going to see tonight that he's going to lose sight of what the priority in his life ought to be. And the reason he's going to is because he's going to be very prosperous. And again, we need to be careful that. You know, that we don't put our faith in our 401k or, or in uh, the house that we live in or the fact that we've become comfortable because we're no longer desperate in certain areas of our lives. But you know what? I don't care how great things are right now. You could become desperate in five minutes. You could get a phone call that one of your kids was in a car accident. Boy, you're going to be desperate in five minutes. Amen? You could find out something's gone on, something's taken place. We could have an earthquake hit our city. I mean, who knows, right? And we can go from being really comfortable to being really desperate. But here's the point. We should always be desperate. We should always be in a place where we recognize our desperate need for the Lord, that without Him, we can do nothing, that we need Him. And and when we become self-sufficient, we become less God-dependent. Amen? And we're going to see that in tonight's text. So, how to live a life. Pride goes before destruction, how to live a life, a holy and set-apart lives in times of great disparity. Number one, beware of becoming self-sufficient. Don't fall into the trap. Never lose sight of your desperate need for the Lord. Stay humble, broken, and desperate. Stay, stay, yeah, I put humbler there, but stay humble, broken, and desperate. Stay in a place where you realize how desperately you need the Lord. Don't lose sight of your need for Him. And you know what? That's why James chapter 1 says, Count it all joy, my brethren, when you fall into various trials. See, God allows trials into our lives so we don't forget our desperate need for Him. Amen? Because see, in the midst of trials, we're going to cry out to Him. In the midst of trials, we're going to realize, I can't do this on my own. And because He loves us, He's going to draw us back unto Himself. Point number two, the way of the transgressor is hard. Ray Boehm's going to find that out tonight. He's, got, he's going to get into the trap of thinking he doesn't really need God anymore. He doesn't necessarily say it out loud, but his actions do. And we can always come to that place where, again, where we're so caught up in, in our, our life outside of the Lord and all the things that we're doing. Again, be the best worker in the building. You know, have a wonderful marriage. Love on your kids. Be a godly... Do all those things. Those are wonderful things. But we must never take God out of the equation. Amen? Matter of fact, he needs to be first. Matter of fact, he should be first, fifth, tenth, and every number in between. He is the priority. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and he'll take care of the rest. Amen? It's faster to a paraphrase, but that's what the verse means. So the way the transgressor is hard and sinful behavior can come with heavy consequences. We're going to see that tonight. And the greatest safeguard in life. Here's the greatest safeguard in life. Know the Lord, walk with the Lord, and obey the Lord. Amen? Know the Lord walk with the Lord and obey the Lord. Some people know about him, but they don't know him. If you truly know him, it's not enough just to know him. We need to walk with him, have intimate fellowship with him. And then finally, not just know him and walk with him, but obey him. Point number three, it doesn't take long to fall if you take your eyes off of the Lord. We will see that again tonight. Again, there's, a, there's this common theme in the, these 16 verses tonight. It's just how easily it is to take our eyes off of God, to be, and here's the other thing that could take our eyes off of God not just prosperity, which is what tonight's chapter is about, but also difficulty. And what can happen sometimes we get mad at God and we blame God and we become discouraged. We need to keep our eyes on the Lord. Again, the Lord will often use even the world for God to bring godly correction. We're gonna see in tonight's text that God's gonna bring a, a, an enemy that are a bunch of idol worshipers to bring godly correction. And that's the same thing that happened with the Babylonians when they came and carried them off into captivity. Humble yourself on the side, Lord, and he will lift you up. And then finally, the choices we make will impact those who look look to us as examples. And again, it's going to see at the end of the text, we're going to see that Rehoboam had followed in his father's footsteps. And he's going to end up just the way his father did. And it's really tragic. So you either lead... Your, you, your example will lead those closest to you to the Lord or away from Him. Now, it's a cop-out and it's not an excuse, but we hear it every day and we need to be mindful of it. I see this all the time. I get, I get little videos sent to me, people talking to me, and here's what they'll say. I, you know, I can't follow God because those Christians are a bunch of hypocrites. I used to walk. I used to go to church, but then I found out the pastor was stealing money from the church, or or the worship leaders having an affair, or somebody's doing something. And it's always if you look at people close enough, you're going to find that they're a bunch of sinners just like you. Amen. But what happens is very often is that people look to us to say, well. If they know the Lord, then they should probably live different. And this God that they say that they're following—how am I going to know that that God is real? And the way that they should know that God—that our God is real—is that we live different than the world that doesn't know Him. Amen. Doesn't mean we're perfect. Doesn't mean we're sinless. We should sin less, but we should be a Christ-like example, and people are watching. Your actions will often speak louder than your words. Let's pick there and pick up on Second Chronicles chapter twelve. Beginning there at verse 1, pride goes before destruction, how to live holy and set apart lives in times of great prosperity. By the way, you might be sitting here going, I don't need to be here for this, Texas. I'll never be prosperous. (laughs) I'm never going to be rich. Have you met me? By the way, let me clue you in. If you live in this country, you got a house to go home tonight, and you got food in the fridge, you're richer than most people on this planet. Amen? Amen. You got a car to drive, right? Or you know, whatever. I mean, we have so much more, and we must not lose sight of that. So let's begin. They're looking again. Beware of becoming self-sufficient. Never lose sight of your desperate need for the Lord. Stay humble, broken, and desperate. Verse one. Now it came to pass when Rehoboam had established the kingdom and had strengthened himself. So the kingdom's been established. If you were here last week, he fortified the cities. He built up his army. He multiplied chariots and horses. He was, you know, a wealthy man, seemed to have everything ready. But, and so the, the, it says, the lesson here again is to beware of strength. Now, how many of you guys know who Josephus is? You ever heard of him? So he was an historical writer in the first century, not long after the time of Jesus. And he's not, he wasn't even really a believer, but he wrote about modern day things that were taking place and he had, knew the history of Again, Israel. And he wrote this. Now, I cannot but think that the greatness of a kingdom and its change into prosperity often became an occasion of mischief and transgression to men. For when Rehoboam saw that his kingdom was so much increased, he went out out of the right way unto unrighteousness and and ungodly behavior, and he despised the worship of God till the people themselves imitated his wicked actions. So here's the man that is supposed to be leading the people of God. And over time, he started to despise the worship of God. Maybe he was jealous because he was the king and a lot of kings were worshiped, but we don't know why, but he became envious of that, didn't like it. And what happened was now all the people started following his example. Let me ask you a question. What would the world be like if everybody followed your example? I think about that all the time. Let me read this to you. It's in the back of my Bible. I, write this, I wrote this down. I heard this from Pastor Chuck Smith. When contemplating whether or not I should do something or watch something, here's the questions I should ask myself. Can I thank God for it? Can I bring God glory through it? Will I stumble another brother or sister by doing it? Is it following the example of Jesus Christ? And if everyone in our church imitated me, what would the congregation look like? Let me say that again. So the first one is, can I thank God for it? Can I thank God for this behavior, this thing I'm going to watch, look at, and participate in? Can I bring God glory through it? Is God going to be honored by me participating in this? Will I stumble someone else if they see me doing it? Is it following the example of Jesus? And if everybody in our church imitated me, what would the congregation look like? So everybody's looking to the king. Rehoboam's the king. He's not just the king of of Judah, which he is, but he's also the king over God's people. And here he is, the king over God's people, and he's going to wander away from the Lord because he's all caught up in how much he possesses. This is a pattern repeated throughout human history where wealth or power often produce an attitude of pride and arrogance. We all struggle with pride. Amen? Okay. But don't we hate it in other people? Right? Doesn't it just make you sick to your stomach when people are just arrogant and and filled with themselves? Some of the... I like, bo- I, my dad was a boxer and he boxed in the Marines. And when I was a kid, he, you know, I got involved in boxing because my dad loved boxing. And I have to tell you, and Lord, forgive me if I'm, do- if I'm wrong, but when you see these boxers and they're getting ready to have a, a f- and b- before the fight, one, a lot of times one guy's really arrogant and he's like dancing around and he's got an attitude. I'm like, Lord, let that guy get knocked out in Jesus name. Can I get him into that? Because when you see pride in other people, it's nauseating. Amen. But that's what happens when we look at the things that we have, we want to take credit for it, or any gifting that we have, if we want to take credit for it. Look, if you're a gifted musician, you worked hard, prob- hard, but you know what? Praise God for it, because God gave you that gift. Amen? If you're gifted at whatever you're gifted at, your job, whatever you may be doing in life, the wealth or power often produce an attitude of pride and arrogance, and even in heaven, didn't we see that happen in heaven? Who got prideful and arrogant in heaven? Who was it? Lucifer. Satan. By the way, the middle letter in sin and pride is I, amen? And so he thought he was greater than Almighty God. It says in Isaiah 14, here's what it says, "'Have you fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How are you cut to the ground? You have weakened the nations.'" And he said, "'For you have said in your heart, I will ascend unto heaven.'" I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. And it says, Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, the lowest depths of the pit. It says the first chronicles 10 therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall and then we see also in scripture pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall pride is is being satan-like humility is being christ-like amen lying is being satan-like he's the father of lies telling the truth is being christ-like he is the way the truth and the life amen it's a ray now he's doing well and because he feels self-sufficient, because he's got the fortresses in order, he remember how all the gold he had? He, he put up golden uh, shields that would cost about $250,000 each in today's money, and he just used them as decorations in his building. I mean, his palace is beautiful. The, the, the temple had been built by his father. And so from the world's perspective, he seemed to have everything. But Rehoboam having strengthened himself, notice that it says he strengthened himself. Guys, we don't strengthen ourselves. Our, our strength and our help comes from the Lord. Amen? He is the source of our strength. He's the source of our peace. He's the one that comforts us when we are hurting. So he had strengthened himself. He ceased to be humble, broken, and desperate before God. And by the way, he mistakes blessings for, from God as his own accomplishments. Again, if you go home tonight and you've got a warm house and food in the fridge, those are blessings that come from the Lord. Amen? You know why it's good to thank God every time you eat? Because only by His grace do we have food to eat, amen? Not everybody has it, and we do, and we should thank God for it. In his self-sufficiency, in his self-sufficiency he no longer saw his need for the Lord. Look at the end of verse 1. So it says, It happened in the fifth year, King Rehoboam, excuse me, Now it came to pass, when Rehoboam had established the kingdom and strengthened himself, that he, what? He forsook the law of the Lord. So as soon as he became self-sufficient, as soon as he had the world by the tail from that perspective, all of a sudden, he didn't pay attention to what the law of God said. What does the word of God say? What are the the commandments of God say? All of a sudden now, he became ignorant toward it and did not walk in it, disobedient toward it. Now, when I read this verse the first time preparing for this message, the first thing I thought about was our country. Amen. You could be argued we're the wealthiest country in the world. And because we're wealthy and we have a great army, so we feel like we're protected, right? And we've got you know, great resources and all the above. But guess what? In our self-sufficiency, we've ceased to be humble, broken, and desperate before the Lord. And we've ceased to recognize that the Word of God is the authority that we should be following. Amen. How in the world did we get to, uh, we don't know how many sexes there are. How do we not be able to understand between a man and a woman? What in the world is going on? It all started off with believing in evolution, the lie from the devil. That it went from the goo to the zoo to you. It's attacking creation. Amen. Then a marriage was attacked that is between one man and one woman. And now people can't even figure out what they are. And if anybody disagrees with the simple truth taught in God's word, you're a bigot and a racist. And, right? Amen. So when you stand for the truth, the truth is the truth. And by the way, it's not my truth or your truth, it's the truth. Amen? Well, I'm just living my truth. Shut up. Stop it. Pastor shouldn't say shut up, that wasn't very nice. But I it, it just, it's so true though. I'm living my truth. You know what that means? I'm living what I believe the truth to be. I don't care what you believe the truth to be, the truth is the truth, whether you believe it or not. Amen? If you're living your truth and you don't believe in gravity and you step off a building, you still splatter on the sidewalk, amen? Because the law is the law and the truth is the truth whether you believe it or not. So Rehoboam is so caught up in himself, he's so prosperous, that he no longer is following the law of the Lord. He's no longer obeying the word of God. He doesn't think it applies to him anymore. And here's the truth. There are people that are very wealthy, that are very godly, and never lose sight of the fact that they're humbled before the Lord. But there's a lot of people who become very wealthy, who become entitled, and think the laws don't apply to them. How many times you have ever seen a video or heard anybody say, they get pulled over, they get in trouble, do you know who I am? You ever seen that before? That's also something that makes you want to see someone slap them in Jesus' name, amen? But you know, do you know who I am? Yeah, sinner, stinking bell, sinner, desperate need of a Savior, that's who you are and that's who I am. Can I get an amen to that? But this whole mentality of being puffed up, and Rehoboam has gotten puffed up, and look at me—I'm the king. I got the world by the tail. I got a great army. I got chariots. I got horses. I got so much gold. I'm paving the streets with it. I don't even—I throw silver away. It's worth nothing to me. And now I'm no longer desperate for the Lord because I'm not worried about where my next meal's coming from. I'm not worried about the enemy coming to attack me. I've got it all by—I've got it all taken care of. May we never fall into that trap. Amen? Now, here's an example of some of the law they forbid, that they forsook. And it said, and all of Israel with him. So Israel followed the example of their king. Please don't follow the examples of people who lead our country. Can I get an amen to that? Follow the example of the Lord. But it says this in 1 Kings. The writer of Kings tells us how he forsook the law. It says, and Judah, that means the country that he was over, remember that Israel had split away the northern ten kingdoms, Jeroboam was their king, and Rehoboam, because of the actions of his father, only had the southern kingdom. So Judah did evil in the sight of the Lord, and they provoked him to jealousy with their sins which they committed, above all that their fathers had done. So they'd sin worse than the generations that came before them. For they also built them high places. Now what are high places? Those are altars to false gods. So the son of the man who built God used to build the temple, the grandson of King David, who was given the vision for it and the blueprints for it, is now a man who is worshiping false gods, false images. It says, built high places and images and groves on every high hill and every green tree. So every hill you walk past, there was a false god. Now, I've been to India seven times. I've been there three times during what is called Diwali. Diwali is the high Hindu holiday. One time I was there when Diwali and Ramadan came at the same time. Now, the nation's like 49% Hindu and like 49% Muslim and like 1% to 2% Christian. And so the Muslims don't like the Hindus. The Hindus don't like the Muslims, and they all hate the Christians. And so when it was the high Hindu holiday, I was there with another Calvary pastor teaching uh, about 500 pastors how to study and teach the Bible and then teaching in village churches every night. And some of them were very primitive. And then I was told not to go outside at night because they, they, they're worshiping their false gods. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a white guy who stands out and they're like, they're going to wonder where you're from. And of course I went out anyway. So I went out and I was walking and every, I'm not kidding, every 10 feet, there was, because it was Diwali, they had a little altar to their different gods. You'd walk by 50 gods walking down the street. They had gods everywhere. They had tables of gods for sale. You get them small god, medium god, a large god. You get them in a color to match your drapes, right? I need a blue medium god. That'll go great with my, you know, Right. And when we were walking by, some guy bumped into the table and all these gods fell over and they broke. If your God can break, you don't have much of a God. Can I get an amen? But the point I'm making is, there's nothing new under the sun. Rehoboam, this man who was supposed to be God's representative, the man that was leading God's people, and the city had altars everywhere you could look. Every, every high hill, every green place, you turn around, Every tr- there's a false God, and they're, and they're tolerating it, and the people are starting to follow after it. Now, this is an exhortation I have for other pastors, so this doesn't really apply to you, but it applies to me. I have an ex- I'm, my heart is burdened that the pastors that we teach the whole counsel of God, and we stop trying to make people feel good about their sinful behavior. We want to love everybody, but we must never accept sin as being okay. Amen. We don't want to affirm it. We don't want to approve of it. We want to stand up and say, God's got a better answer. And by the way, we should never confuse uh, uh, being born into something with being tempted to do something. Amen? If I'm tempted to commit adultery, I'm not a born adulterer. I'm a fornicator who's being tempted to fornicate. Amen? And whatever sin it is that people are struggling with, it's a temptation, and when we move it away from being, I was born this way, or it's a feeling that I have, and to, and to a temptation that's coming from the enemy. So Rehoboam, here's this man, and he thinks he's doing amazing, and he's ceasing to be desperate for God, and now there's false gods throughout the land. Do you remember that, if you were here two week, last week, two weeks ago, that... Jeroboam built altars to false gods in the north because he didn't want his people to come down and worship at the temple. Because he was afraid if they worshiped at the temple, they might not come back. So he put up these golden calves in Dan and Bethel and said, you don't have to go down there. You don't have to go all the way down to Jerusalem when it's the feast of tabernacles or when it's Passover. You can just worship here. We set up a golden calf. It's right down the street from your house. Trying to make worship easy and accessible. And the sad part is that now Jerusalem, the place he was trying to keep them from, because he was worried they would go down and see the temple and worship the true and living God and never want to come back, is now worshiping idols too. So the children of Israel were worshiping idols in all 12 tribes. And Rehoboam was filled with himself and ceased to be again Desperate. It says in verse 24 of the verse I quote out of 1 Kings, And there were sodomites in the land, and they did according to the abominations of the nation, which the Lord cast out before the children of Israel. Let me just say this. You can love people and not approve of their sin. Amen? Just because you say something is sinful doesn't mean you can't love them. I think the most unloving thing we can do is approve of sinful behavior that will lead people to an eternity separated from God. Amen? So we don't want to be arrogant. We don't want to be jerks. We want to be kind and loving, but we want to stand for the truth. It is interesting that it's called gay pride. Pride's a problem, amen? Pride's a problem. Prideful about perversion. We can all become prideful about our accomplishments, about our wealth, our position, even our sinful behavior if our hearts grow hard enough. Take heed lest ye fall. Temptation in times of prosperity. So again, he said, "...then he forsook the law of the Lord." So Rehoboam did this when he was strong and secure. He stopped being concerned about what the word said, being concerned about the commandments of God. He trusted God as long as he needed him. He trusted God as long as he needed him. When the the armies were overwhelming them, he tries out to God. When he was in a position where he didn't, you know, he had leaders coming against him and trying to take his kingdom, he cried out to God. It's like the drowning atheist, right? You've heard of that, right? The guy falls out of the boat or he's out in the middle of the ocean, and when he's You know, 40 miles from the shore, he's telling God, if you'll let me get to shore, I'll serve you my whole life. I'll dedicate my life to you. And the closer he gets, well, I'll dedicate part of my life. And then when he gets on the sand, he forgets what he was even talking about. And there's people that have that relationship with God. They only cry out to God when they need him. But the reality is we always need him. Amen? Forsaking the law of God can only lead to problems, both for individuals, families, and for nations. And we're seeing that in the world today. Are there any godly nations left? What's the answer? Do you think there's any nations that are really on fire for God right now? I can't think of one. When we're probably the closest example, that's kind of scary, isn't it? Now, there's a godly remnant. Praise God for that. But I mean, as a nation, Christians are more mocked than they are encouraged So many Old Testament kings fall for the temptation when prosperous to to play loose and fast with God's commandments and temptation for us as well. It's very easy to get caught up in following the example of the world, especially when we're not desperate. One of the greatest lessons we all need to learn is how to remain faithful to God and desperate for Him in times of prosperity. What do we need to do to stay desperate? Israel is in times of great trials, was desperate for the Lord, remained faithful to Him. When there was nowhere else to turn in their faithfulness, God blessed them. Then God would bless them because they were desperate. And then once He started blessing them, and they started having stuff, and they ceased to be desperate, they forgot about Him. And then God would often bring them into captivity so they would get desperate again and they would remember him. And so sometimes when we're going through trials, you know, I had a a guy that I knew really well that used to say, well, the only time I pray is when I'm in trouble. And he goes, I've been in a lot of trouble lately. I'm like, Say, because God misses you, bro. Can I get him into that? And may we not just have that you know the holy Santa Claus in the sky that we cry out to when we really need something. We should be walking an intimate fellowship with him, no matter what's going on in our lives. Amen. So, verse number, verse number two, and it happened in the fifth year of King Rehoboam. that Shishak, the king of Egypt, came up against. Jerusalem because they had transgressed against the Lord. Now the Egyptians were idol worshipers. The Egyptians, just you know, 400 years before this, the children of Israel, remember they had escaped from bondage in Egypt. You guys remember that? You've seen the 10 commandments, right? Moses. So they had been in bondage for 430 years because they had turned away from God. Then God brings a deliverer. they had been crying out. Moses comes. God brings the plagues. God delivers them out of bondage. Egypt in the Bible is a type or a picture of the world. They were bound to the world. Then God delivered them from the world. And how did he do that? The blood of the lamb and the shape of a cross at Passover. You guys remember that? The angel of death would pass over. And that was the last of the plagues that finally got uh, the Pharaoh to say, let him go. But as soon as they left, the people started to murmur, who's going to build our bricks? Who's going to do all the hard labor? So they go to chase them down, and they're riding in chariots, and their backs against the Red Sea. And the, the people that have been delivered out of bondage are already murmuring, you brought us out here to die. And then Moses lifts up his hand, God parts the Red Sea, and they walk through the Red Sea to the other side. They saw the miraculous, and and then when Pharaoh's people went in behind him, the Red Sea closed on him, and all of Pharaoh's people did the dead man float. Amen? If you guys went to Sunday school, you've heard that song, Pharaoh, Pharaoh, right? And so then they hear from God speaking from Mount Sinai. He speaks. They can hear him audibly speaking from Mount Sinai. And what do they do after Moses has been gone for 40 days? He's never coming back. So they build a golden calf. You just escaped the land of the golden calves. And now you're making a golden calf. And then they wander through the wilderness. And again, it was only an 11 day journey to the land of promise. They get to the land of promise. And what do they do? They don't go into the land because they listen to 10 people instead of listening to God. 10 of the 12 said, Oh, if we go in there, they'll crush us. Caleb and Joshua said, We'll crush them. And out of their fear, they wandered in the wilderness so they all dropped dead. So the point I'm making is their background with Egypt was not good. And now the Egyptians are going to come, these idol worshipers, and God is going to allow Egypt to have victory over them. So the very people that God delivered them from are now going to have victory over them because they've walked away from the Lord. It's amazing to me how God will allow and sometimes use the world to bring about righteous judgment upon His own people. God will allow the world, again, to bring correction on his behalf, Solomon sought to kill Jeroboam and Jeroboam had hid in Egypt and while he was in Egypt, Jeroboam is now the king over Israel in the north. no doubt she shocked the Egyptian Pharaoh leader no doubt heard about the great wealth that was in Israel and so now that Solomon is dead, he sees this as an opportunity, and we got a king that's puffed up. But notice what it says at the end of verse 2. Why did they come against Jerusalem? Because they had transgressed against the Lord. See, because of their disobedience, God brought righteous judgment, and he brought it even from an idolatrous nation. Shishak's attack on Jerusalem took place in 925 B.C., and an account of Shishak's conquest is found In the walls of the temple of Ammon in Egypt, and he carved the names of the Israelite cities that he conquered. And so this conquering came because they transgressed against the Lord. It was a consequence of Israel's rebellion against God. Holy God will often use even an ungodly world to bring about consequences for sinful rebellion and disobedience of his people. Again, won't respond to the Lord's conviction. He will often bring physical consequences. My pastor in San Jose, when we would try to minister to people, the church was very large. Pastor Rob McCoy was an assistant there as well. Manny, Manny uh, Levis was there. So a lot of us, we were all on staff there together. And one of the things he used to say to us is you have to take people to the authority they will recognize. Like we would try to minister to, we had one guy that broke in, he was living in the dorms, we had some dorms that were there. And he had broken into the church office and stole a bunch of stuff. And we had it on video. And so we called the guy in and go, dude. And he was like, I didn't do it. That ain't me. I don't care. And we're trying to give him a chance to repent. And when he wouldn't, Pastor Don said, call the cops. That's an authority he has to recognize. And they took him away in handcuffs. Right? Well, the point I'm making is if they won't obey God, in this case, God may just bring an army along to bring about bring about the consequences. And that's exactly what takes place here. Because he had walked away from the Lord, the Lord allowed, because he had transgressed the Lord, consequences came. When you're obedient, God is glorified and you get blessed. When you're disobedient, I'm not talking about money, I'm talking about God's God's grace and God's hand upon your life. It doesn't mean life's going to be perfect because it won't be. But when we disobey God, when we walk in open rebellion against God, we shouldn't be surprised when the consequences are heavy. Those who the Lord loves, He disciplines. Amen? And here He is disciplining His own people. Look at verse 3 and 4. "...with 12,000 chariots, 60,000 horsemen, people without number who came with, with Him out of Egypt, the Lubim, the Susukim, and the Ethiopians... So he gets this coalition of armies and Rehoboam thought we've got fortified cities. We've got a strong army. We're the wealthiest nation in the world. Nobody can come against us. So God allowed all these nations to come together and this massive army comes to attack Rehoboam. And this one pride, once prideful man is about to start shaking in his boots. He's going to realize he's not as great as he thought. And by the way, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And everybody that thinks they're great now, none of them will think that on judgment day. Amen? Now look at verse 4. And he took the fortified cities of Judah and came to Jerusalem. So those cities that were fortified, that he built up, and I said this last week, You know, the time he was fortifying cities would have been... but If he had taken that time and spent that time fortifying his walk with the Lord, he'd have been better off. Amen? He was building big walls and great structures, but his walk with the Lord was failing. And too often what happens, again, we can't even do that in ministry. We can get caught up in building up a ministry and not be spending intimate time with the Lord. And sadly, Rehoboam... He's in a place where he thought he was invincible, and all of a sudden, he's not. And he thought, and all of a sudden, these cities that he thought were fortified that were going to keep everybody from getting anywhere near Jerusalem, they were on the outskirts of, of, of Judah, and he thought, man, that's, that's going to keep me safe. And now they've run right through them. They're on their way to Jerusalem, and they're in trouble. So this once very prideful man is about to learn a very, very hard lesson. 12,000 chariots. Today, they'd be like having 12,000 tanks. Chariot in those days, you're, you're on foot. We've talked about this. They'd have sharp blades coming out the sides, and they would just go at full speed and take guys out at the knee. And, and you know, if you had twelve thousand chariots, the other teams, the other armies, in big, big trouble. So, sadly, Rehoboam is going to learn this the hard way. When you put your faith in your own strength, wealth, or intellect, there will always be a circumstance, a trial, or an enemy. That your physical strength, wealth, and intellect cannot overcome. You can't fix it. There's nothing you can do about it. You know, I, 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 in some ways, it's been a blessing like, you know, in a football game, um, you know, the guy in the Buffalo Bills got hurt. They thought he might die. And the whole NFL for weeks was praying. I was watching ESPN. They're praying on ESPN. They're showing their co- the coaches called the game as he said, I need to go be with my player and pray for him. The following week, every team at every game went out to the center of the field, got on their knees and prayed. Now that's a picture though of they can't fix it on their own. Does the NFL have some money? Do they have the best doctors around? They can't fix it. They need the Lord's help. So they cried out to God. And what happens is when we think that we've got enough and we're no longer desperate for the Lord, the Lord will often bring us to a place where we can't fix it. And that's what's going to take place here. This army's coming on them. They're in a bad position. This is an opportunity to repent. Guys, you're not not greater than all the trials the lost world and enemy can dish out. You're not. Now, the Lord is. God's greater than all of it, amen? God's in control. God's faithful. God's greater than anything we will ever face. If he is for us, who can be against us? But guys, if you're walking on your own, if you're trying to do things in your own strength, get ready. So he took the fortified cities, he came to Jerusalem, and all Rehoboam's reinforced cities that put so much faith in that he ceased to be desperate for God, could not stand against the armies from Egypt that came to attack. And so too for us, all our strength and planning cannot stand up against The enemy's attacks without the Lord. So point number one, beware of becoming self-sufficient. Never lose sight of your desperate need for the Lord. Stay humble, broken, and desperate. Point number two, the way of the transgressor is hard. Verse five, and it says there, "'Then Shemaiah the prophet came to Rehoboam "'and the leaders of Judah, "'who were gathered together in Jerusalem "'because of Shishak, and said to them, "'Thus says the Lord.'" So all the fortified cities have been overtaken, and now all the leaderships run into Jerusalem, and they're scared to death trying to figure out what to do. And now God's man comes in, God's spokesman, to come in and tell them what they need to do. And you know what? Because they're in a tough spot, they might finally be willing to listen. The point is, they're not reaching out to God's man. They're not reaching out to the Lord. We don't see anybody praying. They're all huddled up trying to figure out how to fix things because they don't have a relationship with God at that time. And, guys, if you, if guys, if the, fir- the first thing we should do in every circumstance is pray, not the last resort, the first thing we should do. My coworkers come up to me and say, Hey, uh, hey, can, you know, I, this is going on in my life. I just say, Let's pray. Let's just stop and pray right now. Let's stop and pray. Some of them don't like it. It's the, of the you know, let's just pray. Amen. But guys, as believers, that should be the first thing on our minds. Let's pray. Let's seek the Lord. But they're not doing that. So the prophet, this is the same prophet that discouraged Rehoboam from attacking the 10 tribes in the north last week. We saw this. He was going to attack the north. He goes, yeah, it's a bad idea. Don't do that. Those are God's people too, and you're not going to win if you do it. And he listened. So he's had the opportunity to speak to all the leaders of Judah because they're gathered together. talking about what's happening with the Egyptian army. And then it says, here's the key. Thus says the Lord, this is through the prophet, you have forsaken me and therefore I have left you in the hands of Shishak. You have forsaken me, so I've given you to the enemy. That's pretty heavy. Amen? Because you have forsaken me, you're in the hands of the enemy. Guys, if we forsake the Lord, if we're not walking with the Lord, if we Walk in rebellion against the Lord. We shouldn't be surprised when the enemy attacks. You know when the enemy attacks? When you're in a place you shouldn't be doing something you shouldn't be doing. Amen? He's a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. When Samson was walking through the vineyard and you know, he had touched a dead lion and he's on his way to go marry a Philistine that he should have been destroying, the lion comes out. And that's what the enemy does. He waits for you to be in a bad spot. He's going to come at you full force. You have forsaken me, and therefore I have left you in the hand of, this was of Shishak. This is a correction that matched the offense. If Judah in, insisted on forsaking God, then God was going to let him know what it was like to be without him. You hear me say this a lot. Rebellion or fellowship, choose one. If you're in open, rebellion against God, you are not in fellowship with God. And if you're in fellowship with God, you won't want to rebel against him. Amen. So you can't say, well, I'm living this life, I'm doing whatever I want, but I've got God in my back pocket for when I need Him. Guys, we either have rebellion or fellowship, and Rehoboam's been in rebellion. And God's saying, well, okay, you're going to rebel against me. You're going to go fight that battle on your own. See, all the other battles that had been won was because God was with them. And now they're fighting the battle on their own. And guys, you know why sometimes we're we're anxious and we're fearful and we're worried? And again, those things can all happen in the life of a believer. They happen in a moment. That's why the Bible says 365 times, do not be afraid, because we're afraid a lot. Amen? But when we remember who the Lord is, we don't have to fear. And God will allow us to be in positions where... We have to cry out to him. God warns the nation that this happened because of their sin, because the way of the transgressor is hard. And the greatest safe, again, safeguard in this life is to know the Lord, to walk with the Lord, and obey the Lord. Rehoboam would have been much better off if he had taken the time again when he fortified the cities to spend his time with the Lord. Your greatest defense is God. Amen? Your greatest defense against your children going sideways, is the Lord. Your greatest defense against whatever trial you may go through, your greatest source of comfort, your greatest source of wisdom, your greatest source of peace, is knowing the Lord. I know I bring this up probably more than I should. But there. you know what? If I did not know the Lord when my son went to heaven, I don't even know if I'd be here. It's only by God's grace, it's only through God's strength that we can endure the trials of this life. Amen because our God is greater. He's the God of all comfort. He can bring peace in the midst of the greatest storm. We talked about this on Sunday. In the midst of great persecution, God knows, and He's with you, and you're not alone, and it's temporary. Amen? And so here's Rehoboam, and gets full of himself. I'm the king. I'm about it. I got 68 wives, right? Right? I've got all these kids. i got all this money. I've got fortified cities. And I'm now I've got worshiping false gods because you know where they came from? All these women he married from foreign lands brought their gods with him. And they're worshiping all these false gods. He's forgotten about the Lord. And the Lord says, okay, let's see how that works out for you. Here comes the army. How's that working out? Rehoboam thought he was, it, you know, impenetrable. He thought he was without uh, the ability to be defeated. And just like that, he's in a place where He's gathered together with all his wise men. They don't know what to do. And now the prophet comes in and tells them, this happened because you've left the Lord, because you have forsaken the Lord. You've forsaken me, the Lord said to him. So how do they respond? When confronted with sin, you can do one of three things. Make excuses, accuse others, or repent, right? So when you're confronted with sin, you can say, oh, no, that wasn't even me. No, I, I didn't do it. Or you can blame it on somebody else. Or you can recognize it and repent, turn away from it. Now, we're going to see a moment here where they're going to be desperate enough. Look what it says in verse 6. So the leaders of Israel and the king did what? What does it say? They humbled themselves. That pride thing wasn't working out too good, was it? That walking around in arrogance, do you know who you're talking to? Not working out so well. Right, And what happens now is they're in a position where their fortified cities have been overrun. They're looking out, and they're seeing this army with thousands of chariots and, six, and all these people on horseback and people as far as the eyes can see, and they realize, we can't fix this. And so what does it do? It drives them to, the, to a place of humility, a place where they're ready to cry out for the Lord. Sometimes when I pray for people, especially uh, you know, people that are going through a difficult time, And I prayed this for my boys when they were going through their difficulties, was, Lord, do whatever it takes to get their attention. But Lord, please keep them from the ultimate harm. Amen? But Lord, please do whatever it takes to get their attention. Grab a hold of them, Lord. Sometimes people will say, they want me to pray for their kids or pray for their spouse who's not saved. And we'll pray, and then some tragedy will come, and they'll say, what's... I said, God answered your prayer. Because you know what that did? That caused that person who wanted nothing to do with God to recognize they're in trouble without God. Amen? And so here's what's happening is he's coming in and he said, look, it's because you forsaken God. You see that army? That's you forsaking God right there. How's that working out? And they could have been prideful. We're fine. We're we're amazing. We're going to overrun. No, they, they looked out and said, oh, we can't do it. And look what it says. It says they humbled themselves they humbled themselves. So we're looking, and it's a, and then therefore, uh, wait, now when the Lord saw that they humbled themselves, again they humbled themselves and said, The Lord is righteous. Praise God, amen. So they humbled themselves. They didn't just feel sorry for themselves. They humbled themselves to say, The Lord is righteous, not us. The Lord is great, not us. He's almighty, not us. It's not our strength, it's his strength. We need him. We're desperate for him. Verse 7. Then now, when the Lord saw that they humbled themselves, the word of the Lord came to Shimei the prophet, saying, "They have humbled themselves; therefore, I will not destroy them, but I will grant them some deliverance." Now, what he's saying is because they humbled themselves and they came before the Lord, the Lord saw their repentance or saw them humbling themselves before Him, and He says, "Because they've humbled themselves, I will not completely destroy them." Now, we're going to see in a few verses. He's going to let them go into captivity. He's going to let them deal with some heavy stuff, but He's not going to wipe them out. Their sin's going to have consequences, but He's going to deliver them from the ultimate harm. And the same is true if we will cry out to the Lord and we truly are are humbled and repented before Him, He will deliver us. Now, He will forgive us. He's faithful and just to forgive us, but it doesn't mean that there might not still be some consequences. Amen? So, we can ask God to forgive us for cheating on our taxes and we got caught, and God might forgive, you know, will forgive us. We still might go to jail. Amen. I did prison ministry off and on for about 15 years, and when you do prison ministry, it's great. Captive audience, where are you going, right? Hey, Amen. I can <laughs> teach as long as I want, you know. <laughs> well, you, you want to hurry back to the cell? I mean, you're hanging out in here, right? I brought you donuts. We can talk about Jesus all night, right? But the point is, someone will say, well, I prayed and asked God to forgive me. And, you know, why am I still in here? Because you killed somebody, bro. That's why you're in here. Because you robbed a bank. That's why you're in here. Well, ask God, he forgave you. Your sins been wa- But the consequences remain. Amen? And so he's going to allow some of the consequences remain. But do you know that the Lord loves to forgive you? He doesn't just have to forgive you. He loves to forgive you. Why were yet sinners? Christ died for us. He loves to forgive you. As a parent, there's nothing my kids could do. There's nothing my kids could do if they came and said, Dad, will you forgive me? And I wouldn't forgive them. Or my grand, I would forgive them immediately. And I'm a, an imperfect dad. He's our perfect heavenly father. Amen? And here's what the enemy will tell you He's not gonna forgive you for this one. You did all oh, that, yeah, you know, when you sold a candy bar, you robbed a bank now, you're done. Forget it. And I'd have guys say that, especially in prison. They'd say, Well, Pastor, you don't understand what I've done. I said, God knows. He knows you best, he loves you most, and he's willing to forgive you. Amen. But here they are, and God sees that they're humbled. And he had let them to their own demise. And now that they're humbled, he says, Okay, I'll deliver them, but not completely. I'll make sure they don't have the ultimate harm, but they're still going to deal with the consequences of their behavior. Again, when confronted with sin, we could do one of three things, make excuses, accuse others, or repent. And we see again, God honoring his promise to Solomon back in 2 Chronicles seven fourteen: If my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. So here's what happens. They're being overrun by the enemy The prophet comes and says, it's because you've forsaken the Lord. They said, the Lord is righteous. They fell on their knees and they prayed and God delivered them from the ultimate demise. But the consequences, some of the consequences will remain. Our God so wants to pour out his grace upon you. Without, with repentance comes restoration. When you repent, No matter how far away you've been from the Lord, he wants to restore you into a right relationship with him. When we become broken and humble before the Lord, turning away from our our sin and back toward him, he is faithful and just to forgive us. So that's the enemy that condemns you and says you're beyond forgiveness. He's the one that wants you to feel overwhelmed and like you're beyond being redeemed. But that's not the Lord's heart at all. Well, I will grant them some deliverance. Then it says, "Of end of verse seven, my wrath shall be poured out on Jerusalem by the hand, shall not be poured out on Jerusalem by the hand of Shishak. So what did he do? He kept that ultimate army from overrunning Jerusalem. He fended them up. By the way, no matter how great the other army is, our God is so much greater. It's ridiculous. Can I get an amen to that? By the way, you see that if you re- we're going to see this if we, as we go through Revelation. And people already talk about, look, do you see the size of the armies in China and Russia right about now? And you see how it talks about how they come down from the north? I mean, we're in rapture season, amen? And I'm looking forward to it. I'm ready for heaven right about now. But I want to to finish strong while we're still here, amen? So while true repentance brings God's forgiveness, often consequences for our sin remain. Look, it says there in verse 8, nevertheless, they will be His servants, that they may distinguish my service from the service of the kingdoms of the nations. So what he's saying is, I'm going to spare them from being destroyed. I'm going to spare Jerusalem from being wiped out, at least at the moment. But I'm also going to let them see what happens when you follow, if you live like the world, and now you're overrun like, by the world. You're going to get to see the consequences of when you don't fully submit to the Lord. So again, he's forgiven them, but the consequences to a certain degree do remain. He kept them from the ultimate harm. They're getting what you asked for, choosing whom you serve. Rehoboam had turned from following the Lord and toward wicked things. It says back in 1 Kings again, And Judah did evil in the sight of the Lord, and they provoked him to jealousy with their sins that they had committed above all that their fathers had done. So they had sinned worse than anybody who would come along yet. And God is gracious, came from the ultimate harm, but He still allowed them to recognize some of the consequences of sin. Now, God is both going to be merciful in allowing them not to be destroyed, but also allow them a chance to see where, his sin, where their sin has led the nation into slavery. It's better to serve the Lord than to serve sin. Amen? Mm-hmm. So point number two there, the way of the transgressor is hard. Sinful behavior can have heavy consequences. The greatest safeguard is to know the Lord, walk with the Lord, and obey the Lord. Point number three, it doesn't take long to fall if you take your eyes off of the Lord. Verse 9, so he's let them know that you're going to deal with some of the consequences, but I protect you from your ultimate harm, verse 9 So Shishak, the king of Egypt, came against Jerusalem and took away the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house. He took everything. He also carried away the gold shields which Solomon had made. So while he preserves Jerusalem as a nation to some degree, he allows them to come in and take all the spoils. Now remember how proud, if you were here last week, Rehoboam was building $250,000 shields and just throwing them up on the wall. To show just how I have so much gold, I'm just throwing up gold shield. By the way, you don't use gold shields in battle. One, they're too heavy, and two, they're too soft. You know when you want a shield, you want a shield that a sword doesn't go through, amen? Right? Gold is much softer than, than you know, steel or even bronze. So he had all these golden things on the wall, and people would walk through and be amazed at his riches, and they walked in and just took them all down. Hey, that thing you were proud of, yeah, we're taking that away. I think you were so puffed up about, let's just remove that from you right now. Uh, he carried away the gold shields. Again, in 1 Kings, it mentions 500 shields, 200 large, 300 small. And these shields were beautiful displays in the house of the forest of Lebanon, but they were no use in battle. And so Rehoboam, again, now is going to have to make other shields to fight the battles, and these are actually going to be better. But we're going to see what's happened because of his choices. It says there in the household, the treasures of the king's house, he took everything. He also carried away the gold shields. Then verse 10, the king Rehoboam made bronze shields in their place and committed them to the hands of the captains of the guard who guarded the doorway to the king's house. Yeah, those gold shields don't work out too well. And he's gone from gold to bronze. That's skipped right past silver. So they went from being just overflowing with gold to where all their riches have been taken away and now they're using bronze bronze shields. But a bronze shield is battle for battle and a gold shield is better if you just want to sit around and stare at it. Amen? And so God's bringing them to the end of himself. And God's letting them see that that thing you boasted in is gone. That gold on the wall is gone. All your riches not here anymore. That great army that you thought, those fortified cities. And the only reason that Jerusalem wasn't completely wiped out, and they were not put to death. It's because of God's protection. The replacement of gold with bronze is a perfect picture of the decline in the days of Rehoboam. The dynasty of David went from gold to bronze in only five years. He took over and destroyed the nation in five years. I think we've got a president trying to beat that number. Verse 9. So they had taken this city because Rehoboam was afraid And then they received him into it and then they emptied the treasures of God and those the things that were the kings were carried off. Innumerable tens of thousands of gold and silver left nothing at all behind. He also took away the bucklers of gold and the shields and all the things that Solomon had made and everything that was there and it was all removed and and Rehoboam gave in without a fight and Shishak helped himself to all the treasures. They were all taken. So his pride went became destruction. The thing that he was so proud of and he thought he had it all together cause he, and he thought he didn't need the Lord, he finds out very quickly how it works out when you don't have the Lord. Verse 10, then King Rehoboam made bronze shields in their place and committed them to the hands of the guards as we met in, who guarded the doorway of the king's house. So what would happen is the king, when he moved around, he wouldn't move around freely anymore. And every time he would have these guys guarding the house, and when he went from the house to the house of worship or somewhere else, he would have these guards take him each way to protect him from the enemy. See, this is what happens when you're in bondage, right? See, before when he was so full of himself and he thought he could just do whatever he wanted, and now he's come to the end of himself, and he's recogni- he recognizes that he could lose his life at any moment. See, God's br- make, it's, it's humbling this man who was once so convinced that he did not need The Lord. The great humbling of Rehoboam came after he had humbled himself before the Lord, but it shows that God knew that there was more humbling that needed to be done. We never tell God when he's done working on us. Amen? So if God continues to allow us to go through difficulty, again, I I say it all the time, no suffering is wasted. And whatever trials we go through in this life, God will use it for his glory if we will but let him. And, the, and, and I want you to know that you may go through things that, and that God's going to use them for His glory in the future because God's going to allow you to minister to somebody else. God will comfort you so that you may then comfort others with the comfort that you have received. And here with Rehoboam, even though he had humbled himself, God knew the humbling wasn't done and God knew he was still a work in progress and God was going to allow him to be humbled some more. If God could go show favor to men such as Rehoboam who typified the attitude which resulted in Judah's eventual collapse, there's always hope for those who humble themselves before God, who come before the Lord and cry out to Him. Many in in sin humble themselves before God, hoping that He will not humble them further. Nevertheless, God knows just how much humbling somebody needs, and if, if it's more necessary, God will certainly bring it. Then it says there, they committed to the hands. and said, and whenever the king entered the house, so they followed him, they watched over him. And then it says in verse 12, when he humbled himself, the wrath of the Lord turned from him so as not to destroy him completely, and things also went well in Judah. Humility brings mercy. So I wrote him in my Bible, and the humility brings mercy. When we humble ourselves before God, He is merciful. When we Stand up like Satan and say, I will be like the most high. And who do you think, do you know who you're talking to? And we walk in arrogance. God has a way of humbling us all. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But when we humble ourselves, God brings mercy behind that. Nobody's ever truly come repented before the Lord and been turned away. Amen? Everybody. If we come humbly and broken and cry out to Him, He is faithful and just to forgive us. Notice it says at the end of that verse, and all things went well in Judah. According to uh, literally what this means, there were good things. The idea is either that despite the corruption, there was still a remnant of good in Judah, but also it's showing that God's grace, that even in spite of the terrible loss to the Egyptians, God restored their relationship with him. And guys, I would rather lose everything and have my relationship with God, then gain everything and cease to be desperate for God. Amen? You ever wonder why you haven't won the lottery? God knows how it might drag you away from Him. Amen? Maybe you didn't get that promotion at work because more time at work and more money would get your eyes off of the Lord. Maybe those things you think that you need or want are going to be distractions from God. He loves you enough to keep you from the things that will distract you from Him. Amen? And that's the exhortation here as He's you know showing uh, grace but at the same time hoping they will uh, teaching them a lesson that we hope they will learn so it doesn't take long to fall if you take your eyes off the lord the lord will often use the the world to bring godly correction humble yourself in the side of the lord and he will lift you up we're only 11 verses away from when he was all puffed remember got everything. I'm strengthened. I'm I'm the king. I'm the man. We got fortified cities. We've got it going on. Eleven verses later, he's on his face, humble before the Lord, and God's showing him mercy. You know what? It's easier to just remain humble before the Lord than have to have the Lord humble you. Amen? Mm -hmm. Last point. The choices we make will impact those who look to us as examples. Now look what it says here in the last Four verses. Thus King Rehoboam strengthened himself in Jerusalem and reigned. Now Rehoboam was 41 years old when he became king, and he reigned 17 years in Jerusalem, the city which the Lord had chosen out of all the tribes of Israel to put his name there. His mother's name was an Anamonitis, and he did evil because he did not prepare his heart to seek the Lord. If you underline verses in your Bible, you should underline that verse. Let me read it to you again. And he did evil because he did not prepare his heart to seek the Lord. Guys, we need to prepare ourselves every day to walk with the Lord when we go out into the world. Amen? We need to walk in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. We need to, to come humbly and broken before Him before we walk out the door in the morning. Because here's the reality, if you try to just live with the world and make the right decision on the fly, if we're doing it in our own strength and try to call it for God, guys, we need to be walking with the Lord, not crying out to Him at the last second. Amen? We need to be walking in intimate fellowship with God. See, the reason they did evil, why did they do evil? It says, because again, He did not prepare His heart to seek the Lord. He did evil. The word evil there is disagreeable, malignant, unpleasant, unhappy, misery. And again, making bad decisions takes place when we're disagreeable or unpleasant with the Lord. When he first became king, the people asked him to give them a little break. Remember what he said? I'm going to make it worse on you than ever. Pastor Dave paraphrased. You guys remember that? So I'm going to make, I'm going to make the, my, my thumbs going to weigh more than my father's waist. Do you think it was bad before? It's going to be even worse. He showed no grace. And you know what? God has a way of, of teaching those who show no grace how much they need grace. He asked again, over. he, he repeatedly did evil things. He was, a, he was a hard man. He was a, a self-sufficient man. But he never he, he got to a place where he saw that he didn't need the Lord anymore. He ceased to be humble, broken, and desperate before God. You know, David wrote in Psalm 34, "I sought the Lord; He heard me, and He delivered me from all my fears." How do we seek the Lord? How do you seek the Lord? First thing is prayer. You shall make my father's house a house of. The, the early church continues steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, which is the word of God, fellowship, prayer, and breaking of bread. So as believers, prayer, fellowship, the Word, communion. Amen? There it is. By the way, we'll have all of those on Sunday. Amen? The Word, fellowship, prayer, and communion. Amen? And agape feast, which is also the breaking of bread. So that's what the church should be doing. And that's why fellowship is so important, because you come, become like the people that you hang out with. So he did evil... And again, because his heart was, because he prepared not his heart. The word "prepared not," he didn't uh, make firm or make ready. Uh, my my Bible has a footnote that translate this word. It it was not his basic purpose. It wasn't the priority of his life to seek after the Lord. God was not the priority. And guys, we need God to be the priority. His heart was not prepared. The root meaning uh, to bring something into being with consequence. Again, in other words, prepare something because you intend to make it happen. This is something that I hunger for, something that I'm desperate for. To prepare your heart to seek the Lord's means you will indeed be seeking the Lord. It doesn't mean you'll just go around through your emotions. And to seek the Lord. Again, seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Isaiah 55, 6 says, Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near. If you cry out to the Lord, He will hear you every time. Amen? If you seek the Lord, if you draw near to the Lord, the reason that our lives so often are a mess is we're trying to do it on our own. How many of you have tried to do it on your own before and it turned out into a mess? Amen? You try to do it on your own. And then we get it, and then it's a total train wreck. And we're like, oh, maybe God can help. <laughs> I could have been walking beside you and missed the whole wreck. But now that the tra- every, you know, everything's on fire, hey, Lord, I, I've just been waiting for you, bro. Amen. He wants us to cry out to him. Then it, it finishes up and he says, The acts of Rehoboam, first and last, are they not written in the book of Shemaiah the prophet? of Edo, the seer, concerning genealogies. And there were wars between Rehoboam and Jeroboam all their days. So Jeroboam was Israel, Rehoboam was Judah. They fought all their days. And in verse 16, so Rehoboam rested with his fathers and was buried in the city of David. Then Abijah, his son, reigned in his place. He didn't finish too well, did he? And pride does go before destruction, as I wrote down as a outline because see he got prideful early on and when we become prideful we cease to be usable for the kingdom of god amen and then god just has to do a work on us so pride goes before destruction how to live a holy and set apart lives in times of prosperity beware of becoming self-sufficient don't don't put so much faith in your you know your bank account or your your health or your possessions or your your abilities but keep your faith in him Remember that the way of the transgressor is hard. That sinful behavior comes with heavy consequences. The greatest safeguard is know the Lord, walk with the Lord, obey the Lord. Number three, it doesn't take long for you take your eyes off of the Lord. Again, it doesn't take long to fail. As soon as you take your eyes off the Lord, you're on your own and failure is coming. And then finally, the choices we make will uh, impact those who look to our example. Rehoboam learned a lot from his dad, Solomon. He didn't learn the wisdom part. He learned a lot about the wives part. becoming self-sufficient and multiplying horses and gold like his dad had done and also setting up false gods and false idols. May we be examples of how to live a holy and set-apart life and how to be humble, broken, and desperate before the Lord. Amen? Lord, we thank you. We praise you. We love you. You are a great and an awesome God. I pray for everyone who's here tonight. Whatever trials or difficulty they may be going through, may you comfort them. May you strengthen them. May you minister to every heart. I pray for those who are looking for work, that you would provide work. Those who are struggling financially, that you would provide for them. Those with health issues, we pray for your healing touch. Those with kids who are prodigal sons and daughters, we pray for them that you would draw them back into the Lord. Those who have trials in their marriages, may you bring restoration. Uh, Those who do not know what their gifts are, may you stir them up and use them for your kingdom and your glory. Lord, help us as we walk down the hill tonight to recognize we're entering our mission field going out into the world that so desperately needs you. Lord, we thank you for your love and your grace and your infinite mercy. We thank you that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Lord, we love you so much. We are so blessed to be your children. We ask these things in your holy and your precious name, we pray. And all God's people said. Yeah. "See."